You're listening to the Touchdown Under podcast with Emilian and Jack, bringing you NFL news and insight from Down Under. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Touchdown Under podcast. We are done with week seven already. Uh, I, for a fact, cannot believe that we're already seven weeks into the season. It just goes by so fast. I'm Emilian, and if you couldn't tell already, Jack is not here with us today, unfortunately, but he will be back next week. He just had some other commitments uh, to take care of tonight, but we'll see him back in the studio next week, which is where we are. So no longer in the old stomping grounds, as Jack described, we are back in this studio today with crystal clear audio quality. So I'm just going to take you through each of the games of this week up until Sunday Night Football, including that one, and then tomorrow morning in Australian time. The Patriots will take on the Bears, so since that game has not happened, <laughs> I cannot comment on it. All right, we'll start off with Thursday Night Football. This was actually an exciting affair for once on Thursday Night Football. Can you believe it? Cardinals took down the Saints 42-34 to in what was interesting. I didn't see this game live, personally, because I was at work, but I saw I did see the game after, obviously. And seeing the Saints sort of just collapse, Andy Dalton specifically throwing back-to-back pick sixes just to give the Cardinals lead, uh, it was really interesting. The Saints didn't look great, honestly. I don't think either of these teams are playoff-caliber teams. They might make the playoffs. I'm not saying they're not going to make the playoffs. I'm just saying they're not play- playoff-caliber teams. But they might make the playoffs solely because the NFC is incredibly weak. We're going to get to that in a bit. A lot of bad teams in the NFC... This season, it looks it looks like so. Uh, yeah, I'll comment on those later. But Kyler Murray and the Cardinals' offense didn't look too great. So, obviously, fourteen of their points came from pick sixes. And I don't know, Kyler Murray, twenty of twenty nine is good. One thing to note, though, DeAndre Hopkins is back with the Cardinals. He has fulfilled his six game suspension uh, for PEDs, and he came back with a bang: ten receptions for ten yards. And Robbie Anderson. Interestingly enough, we didn't touch, we didn't mention this last week. I guess we forgot, but in last week's game uh, for the Panthers, Robbie Anderson was kicked out by his own head coach. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. And then obviously the day after, he was traded to the Cardinals, who are looking to uh, find a fill in for the injured Hollywood Brown. Robbie Anderson didn't get any receptions today, but I'm sure he'll find his spot very soon. As for the Saints, they fall to 2-5, but they are nowhere out of the contention for the division right now because it is such a weak division, and I will touch on who appears to be leading that division in the Buccaneers later, but not a single team in the NFC South has a winning record. And that speaks volume after seven weeks as to how bad this division really is, even with the amount of talent there is on each of those teams. So, let's move on to the AFC Division battle between the Ravens and the Browns. Uh, this kicked off today's early window, and the Ravens come away with another divisional win, twenty-three to twenty, after Cade York missed a sixty-one-yard field goal to tie the game. And in this situation, it's weird because it was a fifty-six-yard field goal, but a false start at the line of scrimmage pushed the Browns back to sixty-one. And look, it wasn't even close. I'm not saying that the five yards. I'm saying the five yards would have made a difference. I think that once you get to that 60-yard field goal line, the pressure becomes even higher for kickers. And just 
anyone watching. I think that you, you look at a 59-yard field goal compared to a 60-yard field goal. You're a lot more comfortable with the 59-yard with the 59-yard field goal, even though there's only one yard difference. I think there's still like that 60 bar, that 60-yard bar that's a bit high for a lot of kickers to reach. And Cade York, the rookie kicker, missed uh, pretty wildly on that one. But look, it was a defensive game. Uh, I think most people would have expected a bit higher scoring affair, with both teams having you know pretty good offenses up until recently. Mark Jackson only threw 16 times. Uh, he ran for 59 yards. Gus Edwards had a good day with two touchdowns. But no one on the offense really sparked anything. The defense played very well, though, getting to Jacoby Brissett quite a few times. Some good plays made by Kyle Hamilton, Justin Houston, and Glance Campbell. As for the Browns, Nick Chubb did everything he could. He averaged 5.7 yards a carry, 91 yards for a touchdown. Murray Cooper was good. David Njoku was injured in the game. But look, it, it, was a, it, was, it was a close affair. But the Ravens managed to hold on to a lead in the fourth quarter, and they set it 4-3 on top of the AFC North for now. Let's move back to the AFC South, and here we go. The Panthers upset the Bucks 21-3 at home a week after firing head coach Matt Rule and trading Robbie Anderson and, and trading Christian McCaffrey. So the Panthers sort of did a, like a nice little like spring cleaning in the middle of the season and managed to beat the division rivals they haven't been since 2019 in an absolutely... Devastating affair for Bucks fans, but a shocking one for everyone else because I don't think even Panthers fans saw this coming. Brady had Mike Evans wide open, hit him on the nail, nail on the head, hit him, and Mike Evans just dropped it. That was an easy touchdown early in the game, and I think that really set the tone. I think if Mike Evans scores that touchdown, there's a good chance the Buccaneers come out of Carolina with the win here. But Brady looks uninspired. Uh, the offensive play calling is just not there. I don't know if Todd Bowles is as good of a head coach as a lot of people hyped him up to be. P.J. Walker at quarterback. Not even Baker. P.J. Walker, the XF, the ex XFL quarterback, managed to put 21 on the Buccaneers' defense, and the Panthers' defense managed to hold Tom Brady to zero touchdowns. The Bucks 3-4, and four, Brady's first time having a losing record after seven games since 2002. 20 years ago. 20 years of having a winning record after seven games, and that's, that streak has been snapped. Uh, I don't know whether, obviously, Tom Brady's divorce is affecting this. I'm, I'm not going to assume it is, but, you know, Brady is not looking like his former self right now, and he's not looking like he did at the start of the season. This offense is very stagnant and very uninspiring, and the defense, look, you can't let a 2-5 team, <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, a 1-5 team going into the game. Score 21 on you like that. Uh, Deontay Foreman, the backup running back for, for the Panthers, had 118 yards. Uh, excellent game for the Panthers. One they needed, and it's. I don't think this makes them a good team at all. I still think they're a very, a very likely legitimate contender for that number one overall pick come April 2023. But it's a good win. I think it's always good to beat your division rivals no matter who you are and especially a division rival that has had the better of you for the past three years. So the Panthers move to two and five, the Bucks three and four. The NFC South is wide open at this time. Let's keep it in the NFC South. The Falcons took on the Bengals in Cincinnati and frankly, 
they got destroyed. Uh, the Bengals put up 35 points to their 17, and they cruised to a 4-3 and three record. The Falcons are now 3-4. and four. Second in the division, though. <laughs> They're tied with the Buccaneers. They're tied with the Buccaneers right now in terms of record, and the Bucs just have the advantage based on division uh, wins. So the Falcons, we've been praising them quite a bit recently on the podcast based on how well they're doing despite the low expectations they ha- we had for them coming into the season. But this is a Bengals team that is definitely back to where it was last year. They're on a warpath. They want to go back to the promised land of the Super Bowl. And they definitely look a lot better than they did in those first two weeks. Come away with a big win here. Move to four and three. Joe Burrow, just the chemistry he has with Jamal Chase is just something else. Obviously, Tyler Boyd had, Tyler Boyd had an incredible day as well. But I, I just can't fault this Bengals offense right now. It's just so good. But Joe Burrow threw 42 times, and he had eight incomplete passes. Almost 500 yards in the air. That's incredible. Three touchdowns to boot. Joe Mixon had a good day too. Um, yep, solid performance all around. The defense did its part too. Only sacked... Oh, no, they got about three sacks. That's that's good. That's good. But a um, few injuries here and there. I don't think it's anything too serious. But, yeah, the Falcons, I think, once they get Cordero Patterson back, they'll be back to, you know, a higher level of offense, which they need. I think that rookie Tyler Algier is doing an okay job, but they're definitely missing the veteran presence of Cordero Patterson and his explosiveness as a running back. Let's move on to the NFC East versus North showdown between the Cowboys and Lions. Dak Prescott returns to the Cowboys. Cooper Rush goes back to the bench and the Cowboys get a comfortable win, 24-6 at home. This Lions offense was fresh off the bye week, had a lot of time to prepare, had a lot of time to rest and had good momentum going into this game. I'm speaking strictly for the offense, not the team as a whole. Putting up six points on a strong Dallas defense it's not enough. Uh, I can't blame the, the, the Lions defense that has been his, like quite bad this season. They've, they've given up like 30, 40 points a game. They, they held the Cowboys to 24. I, I think that's respectable. That's respectable for a, a Lions def, this Lions defense. So this is on the offense for me. Uh, when Jared Goff throws two picks, he's careful-ish with the ball. You know, he had five incompletions, obviously two of those being interceptions, but he's not doing anything spectacular with it. You got to move the ball forward. You got to move the chains. You got to score some touchdowns, and the Lions weren't able to do that. Um, I, I really don't have too much to say on that. The Cowboys' run game was really good. Tony Pollard and Zeke just grinding yards. Zeke got two touchdowns. Ceedee Lamb was good. Dak Prescott, look, it's a good return for him. Hopefully, they can ride on this momentum as they improve to a five and two record. As they're still playing catch up with the Philly Eagles, who were on a bye this week. Moving on. The Giants, another NFC East team that has been impressive this year. They pick up another come-from-behind victory against the Jaguars this time around in Duval County, 23-17. to And this was just a really good performance for the Giants, especially towards the end. That defense just really stifled the Jaguars' offense in that last quarter, and the Jags couldn't get anything going. Jags couldn't get anything going for that last quarter. I feel like the Giants had the ball all the time. Quick three and outs, get the ball back and let Saquon do his thing. Daniel Jones, we've mentioned this before. We said Saquon is obviously the key to this offense. But Daniel Jones is doing a good job not turning the ball over when he has to make plays. He's not making plays left and right. He's not just moving the chains. He's good. 
he's all right. But he's not turning the ball over, which is what the Giants need from him right now, as long as Saquon can keep this up. As soon as Saquon falters and doesn't have a good day, this Giants offense is in trouble because I don't think uh, Daniel Jones can really rally this team and you know put on a, a, a quarterback masterclass. I think that this team's offense solely relies on Saquon Barkley having a good day, which he has been for the past seven weeks. Now for the Jags. They fought a two and five. Trevor Lawrence had a really good final drive, but just came up short after an incredible defensive play uh, from the Giants' defense. After Christian Kirk failed to get into the end zone for a touchdown to, t- to win the game, essentially, Travis Etienne had a really good day, 114 yards on the ground. Christian Kirk had a good day too. Look, I'm not going to fault this Jags team. This is a strong Giants defense. It's a good Giants team. Do I think they're six and one good? Maybe not. Personally, I don't think they're 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 pretty. I don't think they're worthy of being six and one. I think, well, yes, they have to play whoever's in front of them. This isn't a top team in the NFC in my eyes. This is definitely a playoff contender, but not not exactly one I would see going to the NFC Championship. The Jags, on the other hand, they fought a two and five, and they're slowly losing grip on on what it takes to win because right now they're looking unlikely for the playoffs after the Titans picked up another win in a somewhat poor AFC South matchup. Which we'll move to now. Let's go to it. Titans-Colts. Titans pick up the victory 19-10. to They sweep the head-to-head series against the Colts, so they've already played twice. That's it. They don't play again until the playoffs if they meet. The Colts have already played five of their six division games. So each team gets six division games per year. The Colts have already played five. They had the Texans in week one. Then they played the Jags in week two. Then they played the Jags a couple weeks later. And in between that time, they had the Titans. And now they played the Titans again. Their next division matchup will be week 18 against the Texans. And that's it. And they're 1-3-1 and one in those division matchups. And that is not a good look for a team by any means the Colts now sit at 3-3-1. Three, three and one. So they've got a perfect .500 record. But at the end of the season, if these if the Jags manage to find some momentum and the Titans play the way they have been, I can see these teams being very close in terms of record. And this is where the Colts aren't going to make the playoffs because they failed to win these very, very early division matchups against teams they maybe should have won. I'm talking about Week 2 in Jacksonville. And I'm talking about at least one of these games against the Titans. Titans' defense was good. The Colts' offense, you know, they couldn't score much. But the Colts, I don't know what it is. They had so much hype going into the season. They had such a good squad, but it's just not working out for them. And it's weird because the Colts had a really good offensive performance last week against the Jags, 34 points. But the Titans' defense managed to hold them to 10. So... The Titans now move to four and three on the season, and they sit atop the AFC South pretty comfortably, I'd say. Right now, they've got the head-to-head against the Colts, and they're a game clear. So, can the Titans keep this up? I think they can. I think I think by now it's pretty clear that they are the better team in the AFC South. I think Tannehill's looked all right, but I think Derrick Henry's still too hard to stop. He had a good day today. And the Jaguars and Colts aren't exactly performing to the level we expect of them based on their roster and talent. So the Titans, they're going to win the NFC South. I'm going to call it now. The AFC South, sorry. 
Let's move to another NFC East versus North matchup. There's quite a few of those today. Commanders versus Packers. Green Bay loses again in a 23 to 21 loss against Washington at FedEx Field. They're 3 and 4. The Packers are 3 and 4. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Uh, this offense just looks like the Bucks completely uninspired. Aaron Rodgers just doesn't really play like he actually cares anymore. And I don't think he does. I don't think he cares about the Packers or whatever. I think he just cares about winning and he's just not even doing that. So, Washington Commanders took a good lead early in the second half. And the Packers had the potential for a game-winning drive at the end of the at the end of the game, but the Commanders defense held strong. And Taylor Heineke on the Commanders offense. I think is the better fit right now. I don't think you should start Carson Wentz as soon as he's back. Start Taylor Heineke. The dude wins. The dude can win. Brian Robinson has been great. Has been great for a guy who was shot before the season started. He's playing like nothing ever happened, and it's a really good balanced run game there with him in charge and Antonio Gibson backing him up. And Terry McLaurin is just so incredible. The amount of times Taylor Heineke just trusted, trusted Terry McLaurin just to make a play. Taylor Heineke throws it to where he thinks Terry McLaurin will be. And Terry McLaurin makes a play to get that first down, to get those few extra yards, to keep the clock moving. And that ultimately won the commanders the game. So Terry McLaurin gets, I think, the full credit for this when he is such a good player on such a bad franchise. But I really hope he doesn't waste his career in Washington even if he stays in Washington, I hope they turn they turn their franchise around and start getting a winning culture going because this dude deserves it. Terry McLaurin is something else. And personally, I think out of the the four receivers from the same draft class, you've got DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, AJ Brown, and Debo Samuel. I think purely in terms of as a wide receiver, Terry McLaurin is the best out of the four. I think Debo's the best player, but I think Terry McLaurin is just the best receiver he he's just able to make so many good plays at that position and bail out his quarterbacks when they need his help. So, Commanders are now 3-4. and four, And that is the worst record in that division. So, the NFC East, by record, is the best division in football right now. And it's weird to think that. It's just weird. Because you've got the Eagles, Giants, Cowboys. Eagles and Giants both have six wins. The Cowboys have five and the Commanders have three. I personally think the Eagles are winning this division, but I won't be surprised if any of the three teams at the top there, the Eagles, Giants, Cowboys, win it by the end of the season. Let's move on to the late window. So the early window is done. Let's move on to the Las, uh, sorry, Las Vegas Raiders against the Houston Texans. Now, this was a close game for three quarters. Uh, by no means were either of the teams just sort of dominating the other. It was back and forth, but a late game surge by the Raiders offense and defense and defense. There was a pick six causes the Raiders to score 21 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to pick up a 38 20 victory much needed for this now two and four team that had been struggling hard this entire season. And the Texans fall to a one four and one record. Which, look, 
nobody expected the Texans to be a great team going into the season, right? Everyone expected them to be, you know, probably the worst team in the league. And they could be. I still think they're very likely to have the one of the top three picks in next year's draft. But it's good for the Raiders to get this win. I think they really needed it. I don't think they really have a shot at winning the division. I think that the game against the Chiefs uh, on Sunday Night Football, or Monday Night Football, sorry, a few weeks ago really sealed their fate uh, in the division. But Josh Jacobs had a huge day, much needed one, 143 yards, three touchdowns. Derek Carr was good. Devontae Adams had a great day, and the defense made plays when they had to. I mentioned the pick six. As Davis Mills clearly is not the answer in Houston. I think they're going to go for a quarterback with that first pick next year. Damian Pierce had a good day. He's a bright spot on that very, very, very poor Texans offense. Brandon Cooks, I feel bad for him. This guy is a great talent stuck on a bad team. Uh, I can't really say much more. I didn't see too much of this game. I was focused on the Seahawks game, which I will talk a lot about coming up. But yeah, the Raiders... Two and four, they're not out of the playoff contention yet, but they start. They need to start winning a string of games. Next week, they got the Saints in New Orleans. They can definitely win that one. Looking a bit further ahead, they got the Jags in Jacksonville. They can win that one too. I believe that they have a lot of very winnable games coming up, and these ones are going to determine their season and position in the playoff picture at the end of the season. Let's move on to the Broncos and Jets. Russell Wilson was ruled out. Uh, a few days ago with a hamstring injury. So Brett Reapin was the starting quarterback for the Broncos. And it went as well, about as well as you can expect. He didn't really do anything great. Neither, neither offense was great this game. Let's be real. Uh, the only reason the Jets really had a touchdown was because of Brees Hall's incredible run. It was a 60-plus yard run. Unfortunately for him, he injured himself a few plays later. A few carries later. And is feared to have torn his ACL. He's most likely out for the season if that happens, if that's the case. Sorry, he's out for the season if that's the case, which is more than likely uh, the reality. And it just sucks because this guy was, I'd say, the best player on that offense. He was the key to that offense. Much like Saquon is the key to the Giants offense, Brees Hall was starting to become the key for the Jets offense. He was having such great games. Back-to-back, just back-to-back great games on the ground. And now he's torn his ACL. It's really, it's really unfortunate. He was a contender for Offensive Rookie of the Year alongside Kenneth Walker, who I'll get to in a bit. And it sucks for me <laughs> because I have Brees Hall on my fantasy team. I picked him up late rounds. You know, I've, I named my team Better Call Hall, and I decided, yeah, why not? Let's just go for, uh, you know, get the player. I named my team after my team after. And now he's out for the season, so that's great for me. Uh, I am seven and zero right now. But I don't know how much longer I can keep this win streak going with Brees Hall out for the Jets. This is bad news. They are 5-2. and two. They have a great record. But they're in the AFC East. That's already a really tough division in a really tough conference. And without their best playmaker on offense, I don't think they can sustain this, this uh, win streak. I don't think they can sustain this winning season. I think that they're going to falter very heavily in the next few games. And Zach Wilson really needs to step up his game if the Jets have a chance, if they if the Jets want to have a chance at playoffs, which would be awesome to see. It would be really cool to see the Jets back in the playoffs. The Broncos fall to two and five. Let's talk about the Broncos. They fall to two and five in what can be one of the more, most disappointing starts to a season for any team in recent years. 
The Broncos were so hyped going into the season after the Russell Wilson trade. They said the Broncos were only a good quarterback away from being Super Bowl contenders, and there is no chance that they are Super Bowl contenders at this stage. Maybe they figure it out later in the season. It's happened before. But right now, the Broncos' offense is abysmal. The defense is making plays here and there, but it's still not one of the best in the league, and it's definitely not enough to carry this team to wins. Uh, that they need. They need some wins now because they've lost a few division games. We're going to see see them play the uh, the Chiefs quite soon, which will be interesting. I think the Chiefs are going to destroy them, but it might be it might be more surprising than you think. The Broncos face ja- uh, face Jacksonville next week. They need to win that one, but I'm not sure they can. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. Melvin Gordon's not being utilized either. After Javante Williams' injury, you'd, you'd assume Melvin Gordon would be that you know that first running back option. He is, but they're just not running the ball enough. They can't get anything going on either you know either on the ground or in the air. Jerry Judy had some good chemistry with Brett Reven, but as I said, it's just not enough. Pretty boring game at Mal at uh sorry, it's not called Mal High anymore. It's not called Mal High uh, Energy, and it has slipped my mind. I can't think of it right now. They changed the name, but the Broncos lose at home in what was a very disappointing affair and a very sad affair for Jets fans and NFL fans all over. Let's move on to the next game in the late window, the Super Bowl 54 rematch between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I mentioned it earlier. I'm going to talk about it. The Niners have traded for Christian McCaffrey. They did this a couple of nights ago, and that includes, so the Niners get Christian McCaffrey, in exchange for a 2023 second, third, and fourth round pick and a 2024, uh, 2024 fifth round pick. No first round picks were given up for Christian McCaffrey, which I find to be pretty incredible. And this is something that's kind of crazy. We were talking about this last week on the podcast, me and Jack. We were saying the Bills should make a play for Christian McCaffrey because they can afford to give up draft capital in exchange for Christian McCaffrey right now. They're a win-now team. Uh, they're going to be a win-now team for a while, as long as Josh Allen's under center. And they've got a lot of young players to build over the next few years. They apparently weren't in contention for Christian McCaffrey. They weren't in trade talks. They weren't interested. The two teams that were interested were the 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams. And of course it's those two teams, because why wouldn't it be? As a Seahawks fan, it just annoys me so much that these two teams are always in good trade talks. They're, they're making good trades. They always make good moves in before, in, and after the season. No matter what, they, they have really good front offices. So if Chris McCaffrey is now 49er, he played, he had a few snaps today. He got eight carries. He didn't, they didn't feature him too heavily because obviously he needs time to learn the playbook. But he, we saw a glimpse. We saw a very good glimpse. It's weird seeing him wear red and number 23. But... I think he's going to fit this team very well. I just hope he can stay healthy for the sake of this team because they have not been fortunate when it's come to the health of players, particularly at running back over the last few years. Anyways, let's focus on the game itself. The Niners took an early lead, but the Chiefs just <laughs> was relent. The Chiefs' offense was relentless <laughs> for the majority of the game. You know, they scored thirty points in the second half after having a 14-3 lead at halftime. Patrick Mahomes, 423 yards, three touchdowns, and an early pick. At running back for the Chiefs, Isaiah Pacheco, 
the rookie running back had the majority of the of the snaps, but him and Clyde Edwards Alaire, Clyde Edwards Alaire, sorry, had very similar very similar averages uh, on the ground. I think it sets up a nice one two punch in the run game. I think the Chiefs are also a team that could have really made a play for McCaffrey if they really wanted to. But look, Tyreek Hill's absence definitely isn't as what's the word I'm looking for significant than most would have thought. Juju Smith-Schuster had an incredible day. Marquez Valdez-Scantling was a great addition. Travis Kelsey, as usual, he's usually just, he's he's always the go-to guy. He's always Mr. Reliable. And these two pickups of Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling have proven to be very smart on the Chiefs on the Chiefs end. And the defense is just playing well as well. Uh, 12 tackles for Juan Thornhill. You know, Frank Clark had a great play, uh, causing forcing a safety on Jimmy Garoppolo later in the game, which essentially sealed the game. That was that was a game sealing play. Garoppolo, look, I'm I'm still I'm still on the on the side that the 49ers are a better team with Jimmy Garoppolo under center right now than they would be with Trey Lance. So I'm not hating. And look, Chris McCaffrey only adds to this offensive dynamic. George Kittle had his best game of the season with 98 yards and a touchdown, and Debo was good. It was all right. Let's move on to the last game of the late window. My Seattle Seahawks taking on the Los Angeles Chargers in LA. And guess what? The Seahawks put on a masterclass on offense, taking the win 37 to 23. Absolute perfect first quarter on both sides of the ball from the Seahawks. Scoring two touchdowns early, forcing a turnover. Geno Smith was just great. And Kenneth Walker. This guy, this rookie running back that the Seahawks drafted in the second round has been incredible in the absence of Rashad Penny who suffered a season-ending ankle injury earlier, uh, a few weeks ago. But Kenneth Walker is so good. He's so good. Just his ability to change direction, plant his feet and just change direction of the run, bounce it to the outside, cut inside, whatever whatever it may be and just accelerates so quickly. He moves so fast. And he and for me, it was his two touchdown runs were just so incredible. The first one where he cut back, so it was a design play for outside, an outside zone play, and he just cut back through the middle and just sped up so fast. He accelerated through the middle for a touchdown. And his second one, a toss to the right side of the field, and he's just able to zap, zap through everyone in his way. Incredible. Incredible performance by him. 168 yards on the ground. Geno Smith was pretty much perfect. Uh, I'm not going to fault him too much for the pick because that was just a bad... That was just an unlucky play. It just deflected into the air. There's not much he can do about that. It was a good... It was a decent throw. It's not really his fault that the ball was picked earlier in the game. But he didn't let that... He didn't let that affect him. There's there's this one significant moment of the game that I want to talk about. And it was when the Seahawks' defense was on the field. No, sorry. It was Seahawks offense was on the field. And they were facing a I want to say third down. Third down and five. I want to say I want to say it was third and medium. I can't remember exactly, but I remember the moment. Third down and I'm sure if you watch the game you'll know the one I'm talking about. The Seahawks were called for a false start. Austin Blythe was called for a false start. When there was nothing. It was it when when the play when the ball was snapped, it looked like it was offside on the Chargers, okay? 
because they let they let the play run for about a few seconds, then they blew the whistles. So we thought it was going to be a free play, but then the ref stopped it, and apparently it was a false start. Gino was not happy. Gino was livid. Pete Carroll was not happy. And it was just one of those moments you could feel could be a turning point. This is where the Seahawks could collapse. This is where the Chargers could gain momentum. If they get this stop on third and long, or second and long, they could potentially turn the tides of this game. And you see Gino talking to the refs, like being very visibly upset. And he turns back, goes back to go to the huddle. And you just see Pete just like shouting, Gino, Gino. Smith turns around and you see Pete Carroll do this gesture of just keep you calm. Keep you calm. The announcers mentioned this. I'm not saying this is all my uh, original analysis. I'm just seeing what I saw and what I, what everyone else saw. And you just see Gino. Okay. I'm going to play calm. And he was able to take the Seahawks on a great drive. Didn't end in a touchdown, landed in a field goal. But it was still such a great drive because Gino was lining it up on that specific drive. He was so good. So good. And I just love seeing that leadership and that that control he has over this team, that grit, that perseverance, and just the stability we have at quarterback at the moment. Incredible. As well, Marquise Goodwin had his best performance of the season, four receptions, 67 yards, and two touchdowns, and they were two really nice touchdowns as well, both from the passing perspective and the catch itself. Tal Locker was very reliable on a lot of key plays, and I, Will Disley was also there. The Seahawks, the Seahawks offense just so well balanced. DK Metcalf suffered an, a knee injury early in the first quarter. You know, he landed real badly on, a, on an almost touchdown play. But we don't know the severity of the injury. Hopefully he's okay, but he was carted off. In other injury news in this game, JC Jackson dislocated his kneecap early in the game, and Brandon Staley said that it was a significant injury. So he'll miss some time. We don't know just how much yet. Mike Williams, another key playmaker for the Chargers, did not return to the game later after an ankle, ankle injury. Uh, you could see he couldn't put any weight on it. So that we don't know the severity. It could be nothing. It could be huge. We'll see how that goes. But look, this was just such a good performance for the Seahawks. One we really needed. This was like a huge test to see where the Seahawks are at. And I think it's safe to say this is not this is not a bottom five team in the NFL like so many people were expecting this year. Geno Smith's been incredible. And these rookies have been so good. Kenneth Walker... Boy, Marfe's been great. And let's not forget about Tariq Woolen, who is definitely an early defensive rookie of the year contender. Uh, this defense this defense has potential to be really good in the future. I think right now there's a few kinks they need to work out, which is why they had such a bad start to the season. You've got a lot of new faces there. You've got a lot of rookies who need to adjust to the NFL. But when you have someone like Tariq Woolen, who was locking down anyone in front of him today, I think it's safe to say this defense is in good hands. I think they'll be okay. Jordan Brooks has been playing well. Kobe Bryant has been making plays. Ryan Neal, well, he's not a rookie. He's been there for a while. Made some huge plays. Made some huge plays. I just think that you know, with a bit more experience and a bit more fine-tuning, this defense can be one to feared in the near future. And the offense is just really good right now. So I'm very excited for this Seahawks team. I can't wait to see what they can do. Going forward, the Chargers take a loss. 
But look, they're four and three. They're by no means out of playoff contention. They just need to find a way to stay healthy because these injuries are killing them right now. They've lost so many players, so many of their best players as well. Uh, let's see if they can bounce back next week. Sorry about the elongated talk there. I just feel like there was a lot to talk about for this game, and obviously this is the one I paid the most attention to today. But yeah, the Seahawks take out a win on the road, and they take on the 6-1 and one Giants next week at home. That, I think, is going to be a very exciting game, and one I am very much looking forward to as a Seahawks fan. Let's finish off this week's episode with the Sunday Night Football match between the Miami Dolphins and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Dolphins take the win 16-10 in Tua Tagovailoa's return to the team after being injured with a concussion. The, Do- the Dolphins played well. Look, it was a scoreless second half, so all the action really was in the first half. Dolphins took an early lead. Tua Tua played well there. Raheem Mostert played very well in that first half. And the offense wasn't incredible. They didn't, they didn't dominate the Steelers' defense. They just made plays when they had to. They moved the football. And ultimately, it was the defense, the Dolphins' defense, that won them the game, forcing three interceptions on Kenny Pickett, one of them being the game, game-stealing one by Justin Pethel. And I'm going to go back to my point. I don't think Kenny Pickett is ready to start. I don't understand why so many fans are impatient. I understand why they're impatient. They want to see the rookie play. But I don't think this Steelers team is ready to compete right now for a playoff run, for a deep playoff run. I think they need a bit of time to adjust. I, need, I think they need a few more key pieces. And I don't think there's any reason to rush Kenny Pickett in. When you have Mitch Trubisky, who's not a great player. He's not a great starter. He's a good backup. And he's a bad starter. But he's still more reliable than the rookie Kenny Pickett, who's very, very, very underseasoned, underdeveloped right now. And... It's not a good look for him, and the Steelers just can't really do much with him at quarterback. The defense is all right, but without TJ Watt, it's a shell of its former a shell of its former self. And this is why this is why I think that Trubisky needs to start because he was able to take down the Bucks last week. He was able to put the Steelers on a game winning drive last week, and we saw Kenny Pickett attempt to do that this week at the end of the game, and he threw a pick. I don't think the Steelers are ready. I don't think Kenny Pickett's ready for the NFL right now. I think he needs a, at least a season on the bench. Even if you have Mr. Trubisky starting at quarterback, it's a better option. It's a safer option because you do not want to stunt a rookie quarterback's development by throwing him to the Wolves year one. And I think too many teams in the NFL today are just so quick to rush out quarterbacks, and this is why we see so many like promising talents just completely falter so early on in their careers. Anyways, the Dolphins snap a three-game losing streak on Sunday Night Football. They improve to a 4-3 and three record. The Steelers fall to 2-5. I think the Steelers are out of playoff contention, if it wasn't already clear. But the Jets are... Uh, sorry, the Dolphins are 4-3. and three. They sit right behind the Jets in what is a very competitive AFC East, considering how well the, play- the Patriots have been playing with Bailey Zappi under center. And we'll see what happens with him and Mac Jones going forward. But we have the Bills at 5-1 and one who had a bye this week. The Jets 5-2, and two, but they just lost their best player. The Dolphins at 4-3, and three, who looked to gain some momentum after tonight's win. And the Patriots at 3-3, three and three, who have been surging as of late. Anyways, 
That'll do it for this week's episode. Tomorrow, tomorrow on Monday Night Football, we have got the Chicago Bears taking on the New England Patriots in Foxborough. For me, I think the Patriots, the Patriots will win this one comfortably. I don't think the Bears are really a good te- uh, are a good team at all. I think the Patriots can surprise a lot of people this season. Anyways, that'll do it from me here at Touchdown Under. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram at touch.down.under. Spread the word around. Share this podcast. Thank you so much. Jack will be back next week, and I'll see you then.